0: Welcome once again to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Stan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and we're glad to have you join us either for the first time or for those recurring listeners to have you joining us again. My guests this week are a married couple, Natalie and Joe LaHood. Natalie is a 2008 grad. From Notre Dame as well as received her Master's in Theology in 2011. Pleased to be joined by Natalie and your husband, Joe, for the podcast this week. So, LaHood family, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Great. Thanks for having us, Dan. Good to be here. All right, Joe, since you're the outsider, so to speak, we'll start with you <laughs> and bring you into the family. Where did you grow up? What were some important elements of your childhood?
1: Yeah, so I I grew up, I'm local to the Washington, D.C. area. I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I guess I had what would be considered a fairly unique upbringing. Although for most of my life I didn't view it as that. Mm-hmm. So when when I was born, my mom decided that she wanted to obviously, not obviously, but in those days, is in the early eighties, she wanted to, she wanted to stay at home with me, but she also wanted to continue her career, which was working as a special education teacher. But she wanted she wanted to find a way to make that work with her new role as a mother. So. What she did was when I was born, she she basically opened up her home and said, I, I want to take care of some other kids in my house, you know, w- with my son here. And one of the first kids that came was a family with a severely disabled child. And he he ended up, you know, staying with us during the day. And, you know, w- this is when I was very little, a, a baby. And the w- word kind of started to spread that there was this lady who would take kids into her, her home, you know, kids who had Oftentimes fairly severe disabilities. You know, I'm talking not non-mobile, not able to speak, oftentimes with feeding tubes. At that time, not not a lot of places for 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 kids with um such severe disabilities. So she she just kind of opened her her home to to them. And you know, I, I grew up in this very, very unique way with all of these these brothers and sisters in our house, usually Oftentimes it would be them after school, but but sometimes it would be it would be all day, and that was just kind of my experience growing up. And it wasn't until let's let's see. So in 1988, I had a, a brother who was born, and he, he had he survived. He would have been severely uh, disabled. He had polycystic kidney disease, and so he lived just a couple hours. It was a very trying time for for my mom and dad, but it was. You know, through that experience, that they they took this this work that was uh, important to them, and taking care of these kids and opening up their home, but it, it started to turn into a vocation. It started to turn into something more. And my mom was a Presbyterian at the time, and she had fairly difficult experience telling people, friends, and her pastor at her church that that she was going to keep this baby that you know had. Had he lived, would have been extremely disabled, and it was very difficult in terms of getting support from her family and and friends. It was a very ostracizing moment for her personally. Where she did get a lot of support was from the local priest. My dad was was raised a raised a Catholic. He was a practicing. Catholic for for much of his life though at this time he was kind of I, I he would probably say one foot in one one foot out but this priest was extremely supportive and he was he was really there for my parents throughout the whole very challenging pregnancy and was there when when my brother Francis was born and and baptized him and that was kind of the beginning of their kind of transformation from a a couple who certainly had a heart forgiving but but it it turned into a much more spiritual experience for them and i think that was kind of where our life started to 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 really change and it was through the the suffering of of my brother and their experience with him that they found their faith and that his place in our family was always so very clear even though he lived just a couple of hours you know his 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 presence I would say and his suffering had had the most lasting effect on of anything in my childhood, you know, and and I only got to be with him for, like I said, a couple hours. And yes, that experience and his presence is is was forever felt in our family from that point on.
0: Wow, that is that's one of the deepest, and most intense answers (laughs) to that first question I've ever gotten, Joe. So thank you. Um, That's that's tremendously inspiring. Natalie, how about for you?
2: Yeah. I would say I had a more typical upbringing for (laughs) the first part of my life was the oldest of three kids. And my parents worked very hard to send us to Catholic school. That was always a a really big priority for them that Mm -hmm. I can only appreciate all the more now as a parent myself. Yeah. And part of them working very hard was my dad working as a cop very odd hours, very long shifts, extra shifts a lot. So I do have memories of my mom taking the three of us very young kids to mass every Sunday. And I cannot imagine that was easy for her, but we did it every week. And my dad with his odd hours that he did have off with us also have very strong memories of him taking us to very, very, very early daily mass and then to feed the homeless um, at the church afterwards Mm. and while we didn't do anything particularly big as far as prayer and practice of faith I would say throughout the week other than being able to attend mass together those were those are definitely strong and defining moments of my childhood and as well I have very very strong memories of always holy week every year we went to all the liturgies mm-hmm. and always went to the cathedral for those and can still <laughs> feel viscerally my nervousness at having to kiss the cross <laughs> on Good Friday and can like, feel my little feet walking up the aisle to do that and, and, and still celebrating Holy Week liturgies. Even now, some of those kind of memories still, still come back as a kid. That, that was
0: something we always did together. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's very foundational memories and, and things that set the stage for for a lot of things to come. Joe, as you kind of discussed faith in your house and saw your parents live it, what were some prominent memories that you have where you realized this was something very important to you and your family?
1: I think the biggest thing would be that my parents, kind of after, after the experience with Francis, became lay missionaries of charity and they my dad especially just kind of got slowly sucked into the life of the the sisters in in DC the contemplative sisters i say sucked in because they would be like hey come do my come do our garden in the front yard or go go buy us some dark chocolate but not too sweet cuz we can't it can't be too sweet <laughs> or you know go send this package in the mail you know odds and ends where they were just kind of using those errands not using maybe they they certainly needed the help but have using those errands to kind of bring him in to their family. So, you know, one of my most vivid memories is, so them being lay missionaries, we, ju- we got to meet Mother Teresa when she was right. here in, uh, let's see, would have been 90, 92 or 93. And I've, wow. I have this very vivid experience. I can still see through my childhood eyes, kneeling in their little chapel, feeling like we were there for hours. She was running late and I've, it was felt like we were there for two or three hours waiting for for mother to come in but it was, I think we said two rosaries in the time. It was probably like 30 minutes, you know, but being <laughs> eight, I was like, oh, this this is forever. Kid time. And, um, you know, being able to meet her, especially now through, through pictures, seeing it, you know, I was, I was only eight, but you know, my sister was a baby and she was playing on the floor with my sister. Um, and just being able to have those pictures in our house and, you know, being able to kind of relive that childhood experience whenever I walk by those kind of images here is, is just such a neat, thing to, to think about you know I, I I won't speak for my my parents but I know they had a very profound experience kind of meeting her in the flash really just experiencing really what what they saw as as the face of Christ and her so you know that was a very formative experience for me and also we would just go down there pretty frequently to, to meet with the sisters and and see them and you know do things outside their home and yeah th- those are those are some of the more vivid images that that stick with me from from childhood
0: yeah. A canonized saint, no less. I mean, yeah. it's, to be able to be on, that, on this side of that and to know that you were able to interact with a person like that, that's, uh, that's very inspiring. Natalie, for you, there's kind of that time in adolescence when you start to figure things out for your own and some people push back against the faith, other people deepen it. What was your time in adolescence like as it related to your faith?
2: Yeah, my dad, when I was in eighth grade, was invited by my uncle to go on a pilgrimage to Medjugorje. Mm -hmm. And he came back and I think my mom thought he was a little crazy. I think we all were like, (laughs) who is this guy Uh, for a little while? And he eventually convinced my mom to go uh, many months later. Took a lot of convincing and uh, saving up money, but uh, sure. she eventually went and she came back, and they ended up taking all three of us kids uh, my freshman year of high school. That we missed a week in the fall and. I was kind of mortified. I was like very type A, very into school and my sports. And like, you don't miss stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is life and and death here. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So we went uh, as a family and that it was just, it was a week of uh, Medjugorje back then compared to what it is now. Apparently Uh, was, was just very simple. Like we stayed in a missionary's home, a visionary's home and we prayed all day. Hmm. We, we walked up a mountain praying. We walked down a mountain praying. We went to mass. We came back out. We had lunch. We said a rosary. We walked up the other mountain praying. We walked down the mountain praying. And while part of me as a you know 13-year-old was sort of like, well, this isn't how I was planning to spend my fall break, mm-hmm. uh, was, was very moved by the experience, um, just the welcome that the village had for us, and the the way these people prayed and the the sense of peace was uh, just something I very very rarely experienced in in that way in my life, and was such a gift. And um, I, I wouldn't say that that it has been definitive of my spirituality, especially as I've as I've grown. And people sure. have their own questions and qualms about Medjugorje and what really goes on there. But I can say uh, personally and in my family's life real miracles came from it my my parents had had decided after the us first three kids that they they were done and they they were done having kids and mm-hmm. and this was our family and and after their experience and and kind of conversion reversion they had there they discerned that god was calling them to be open to life again and um and ended up having two more kids one when i was a sophomore in high school and one later when i was a freshman at notre dame and yeah wow. um as much as again as a high schooler thinking the week I'm getting my driver's license i my mom's <laughs> having my baby brother like this right. is <laughs> wow. this is weird this is what I wasn't what I could have imagined or, or probably would have chosen at the time I was a little bit mortified then too but to to see my parents just totally transformed in the way that they you know fasted and tried to get us to pray the rosary whenever we were um you know would cooperate with that and, and, and to to really pray and to to see what the experience meant to them and how how it transformed them and their desire to really serve God and and so much so that they, hard as it was, decided to be to be open and to have two more little ones as the rest of us were in high school really had an effect on me to see like that you know, they really believe this. this is real and and so that that sort of set the stage for me, in high school and dove into campus ministry and and service and just that was that was where I really found found joy and and found good friends and and then eventually as as a senior in high school um, kind of being a, a leader in campus ministry and service throughout my time there I was invited to be part of a group that um, would do weekly Friday afternoon visits, um, at a local AIDS hospice, which hmm. ended up being another really, really just moving pivotal moment in my life. My first real experience of service that, that was really at that kind of depth on a personal relational level, the first kind of experience of, of ministry of presence and just what it meant to, to, to show up and, and Try to pray and be there for someone, and especially someone who who was dying um, right. was yeah. was probably one of the most uh, transformational experiences of, of high school and adolescence for me.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine, and and the fact that for both of you, really, it's the witness of your parents. That is definitely having an effect and, and helping you understand your sense of self and who you are. Joe, for you, as as you thought about your parents and, and living that vocation and, and welcoming all these children in, how did that kind of factor into what you understood your gifts to be as a young person?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think the experience of my childhood kind of would shape me in in ways that I I wouldn't really understand until later, you know. Right. Like the, the way that I grew up was so unique, but being a child, you, you don't experience it as unique, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's all you, it's all you know. Thinking about this later, as I'm as I'm growing up in high school, and like, what is this thing that that I have experienced with these kids, with these families, and mm-hmm. having such a large large extended family and the and the love that I saw there. I guess the only thing that that I can really say is that it allowed me to see really what, what Natalie experienced in the, in in visiting the AIDS home is the, the awesome power of just being still with someone. And for a lot of our kids who couldn't speak, who couldn't feed themselves, who couldn't walk, like what you did was, was sit with them, or you were just hanging out in the same room with them. You, you were just experiencing life with them in a way that was not necessarily normal for a child to experience, you know, you're, you're, you're just sitting, you're just being, you don't have to be doing something. You don't have to be teaching something. You don't even have, you don't have to be watching something. You're, you're just there with them. So I think that experience taught me so much and just how to, you know, my desire to have an openness to what every person has to offer, no matter how small or fragile or, or weak they may seem, you know, there's, there's such giving, and there's such a, a beautiful exchange between people that can happen with no no words that are that are being said. And I think that's something I got to experience firsthand a lot as a child that I maybe couldn't articulate until much later. And the experience of now our kids wanting having that our my children, Natalie and I's children, be able to experience, you know, what what I experienced as a child too is just so so neat for me to be able to see. And I, I feel very blessed that Natalie and I are able to continue this ministry that my parents started which which we can talk about a little later but you know it was just very foundational informative for me and it's it's so so powerful to be able to see that through the eyes as a, as a parent now that that my kids get to experience that
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited to definitely touch on that topic as well as it gets to the point of college, what was involved for both of you in figuring out where you were going to college and then even What that might lead to in your in your early careers.
2: I had said since I was eight years old that I was going to go to Notre Dame. (laughs) I knew really nothing about Notre Dame other than the fact that my oldest cousin went there and Kim was my hero growing up. I ended up asking her to be my confirmation sponsor later down the line. We cheered for the football team, but literally I knew nothing else. But I said from the time I was eight years old, that's where I was going to go. And when it came time to apply for colleges and I looked into things more, it did in fact seem like uh, the place I would want to be. Uh-huh. Um, hadn't visited it yet, still, but I applied early and and got in. So that was the first place that I heard from. But then hearing about financial aid, as I was hearing from all the other colleges that I had applied to, it was looking like I was going to go somewhere in California that was going to be more financially feasible than a yeah, lot of the Catholic state, schools yeah, yeah, seemed like they were going to be able to make things. And I still hadn't heard from Notre Dame, still hadn't heard was... And pretty disappointed by my options at uh some of the catholic schools and so i will never forget the day the envelope came in the mail and it looked kind of thick and <laughs> it looked maybe promising but i didn't have didn't want to have my hopes up but tore it open and and in fact notre dame was just so incredibly generous um as as i know <laughs> they are with so many people so blessed to go there and uh <laughs> called my dad at work and screaming and crying that uh I was gonna be able to go, yeah, I, after then finally being able to visit now that we we knew it looked like I was going to be able to go there just as so many of us uh, experience on campus just the the campus life even on a on a really gross February day there's just something tangible and that students convey to each other to those who are who are visiting that. I just knew that's where I wanted to be. I had always loved sciences and so knew that I was going to study biology. was somewhat surprised that after uh, taking the two required theology classes that we all have to take, that the second one that I took that was taught by a very gung-ho uh, PhD student, just. Captured my heart and I loved it and decided to add theology as a double major at that point. The trajectory of my time through Notre Dame, I uh, had, had always thought that I would study biology and be a doctor. And when the time came to be signing up for the MCAT, I wasn't feeling pulled there as strongly as I Mm -hmm. as I thought Mm -hmm. that I should. And so I really intentionally took a step aside and decided to be studying abroad at the time that all of my peers were going to be taking the MCAT to take the time to see if that's where I really felt I was called to be. And I studied abroad in Dublin and was really blessed to have the Notre Dame abroad campus minister uh, be stationed in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And was able to, I think, have a little bit of an unconventional time abroad and that I spent a lot of it on, went on several pilgrimages to Rome and Florence and Assisi. I revisited Medjugorje and with the Notre Dame campus ministry over there, was able to do some days of reflection and a weekly milkshake mass and things like that, that really helped me to solidify in my heart that I knew that my life was going to be taking a new direction, and and I, I really wasn't feeling called to go to medical school. And I um came back from that semester abroad and went straight into being a counselor in the ND Vision program. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the summer before my senior year, and that that was just an affirmation on top of all of the other affirmations that had been falling in line that spring. That I felt I was really called to study some more theology and pursue ministry and division was the place I, I would really say where I found my core group of friends at Notre Dame, these really yeah. joy-filled, loving people who loved each other and loved life and loved God and faith was the center of their lives. And it was just an incredible summer and and gift from God giving me the the kind of peace to say, okay, <laughs> you're going to go a totally diff- different direction than, than you'd always thought. And, and it's okay. And That's it okay. might take a, yeah. a little while to figure out what that is, but you have a community to help support you in that and and let's do this.
0: <laughs> That's great. That's great. And, and your openness to that uh, change, because I know that can be disconcerting sometimes for the high achievers that often come to Notre Dame that they're changing course, but it's great to hear that openness. Joe, for you, where did you go to school? What did you study? What was what kind of went into those decisions?
1: Yeah, so I I went to Providence College up in Rhode mm-hmm. Island. I
0: was a mm-hmm. history major
1: with a couple minors in, in writing and theology. I kind of always had in the back of my mind that I would become a, a teacher, which is what I, I actually, in fact, did. Did become and i'm still still teaching today Mm -hmm. but my experience in in terms of faith in college was shaped shaped a little bit more of outside of college even though i went away i I had a very strong core group of friends back home that we got we got to know each other through our our local youth group and and there was a a couple of adults in our parish who were who were very intentional about trying to form a youth group that would last beyond simply youth Hmm. Yeah. after we graduated high school we would continue to have these yearly retreats where we would all get together you know once a year for a weekend um, and these these two adults John and Mary Beth would lead them and you know and we we had a group of, of 20 or 30 young men and women who would come on these things and these are really the the foundational and the 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 foundational friendships of my life. And, you know, after we graduated from college, we continued these retreats and, you know, people had kids, people were married and we would still get together even though, you know, people are coming from separate places. 20 years later, we're all still friends. Wow, Our faith is at the center of that. And we work together. We have kids going to the same schools and it's very kind of, kind of intentional friendships that were formed by the adults in our lives who, who really wanted to, to, care enough to instill the next generation in, in the value of Christianity in terms of it being personal and it being mm-hmm. relational and not just, you know, this thing that's, that's up and far away, but it's right there. It's like when you're having a kid, they're, they're there with you. You're each other's, uh, godparents, you know? So it was a very intentional formation from the adults who are, who were around us, who gave so much of their time and energy to this and whose, whose fruits are paying off in this life and the, the next, I can only imagine. That was more of my, my experience of, of faith at that time in my life. I, I had a I had a great you know, group of Dominicans at uh, Providence and great friendships there, but it was still kind of the, the home life that, that kept me, me grounded in my faith.
0: Yeah, yeah. What a tremendous gift for you as a, as a young person to have that. So when did the two of you meet and how did that relationship blossom?
1: We we met because I was living with a couple of of domers, uh, and I, I I guess just one actually, but there there were a lot of Notre Dame people in the D.C. area, um, mm-hmm. and our house of guys had Natalie's house of house of ladies over one night, and we just kind of kind of hit it off there. I was
2: going to say maybe we could back up just oh. a little bit before that. I would say that I I had just returned from almost two years in Thailand as a missionary
0: okay.
2: and I had gone with organization called Consolatio whose mission was to be a presence of hope among marginalized and suffering people around the world and to do that we lived in intentional faith community and in, in very poor areas um, living a contemplative prayer life together and spending our our days in between the times of prayer, the rosary and mass and adoration and liturgy of the hours was kind of this, those sort of set the stage for the rhythm of the day. And in between those times of prayer, we visited those who were the most alone, wherever we were. And so for me, living in in the biggest slum in Bangkok in Thailand, that was um, Mm -hmm. a lot of elderly, a lot of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, spent a lot of time visiting in a hospice and in the immigration prison as well. Hmm. And really all that we had to offer was ourselves and our love and our time. And it was a really humbling and uh, incredibly beautiful and hard experience. You know, we spent our time every day. We would bathe a young man who had contracted polio right before the vaccine came out and it had left him severely disabled. And we spent time just giving him a bath and visiting with his elderly mom, having some tea or just going and and laughing and celebrating the good news um, with somebody in the immigration prison who was going to get out or or crying with someone who wasn't. And just a lot of sharing the dailiness of of life with people in, in really isolating circumstances. And it was, it was pretty hard coming back to the U.S. after that. And I landed in D.C. and, and was working with a program forming missioners um, to, to do the same kind of work internationally. And that's when Joe and I met at a, at a dinner at his house through the invitation of a mutual friend. And it was as Joe was asking me, you know, about my time in Thailand and uh, I, you know, I was still new in DC and he talked about his upbringing in St. Joseph's house. That I think we both kind of had this, aha, you get me moment
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> that uh, as I was trying to articulate my experience and he was trying to articulate uh, what his childhood was like, there was a lot of overlap and, and understanding that just led to kind of a comfort and, 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 deeper questions we were able to get to much more quickly just because that sort of set the stage.
1: Yeah. And you have to understand where I'm coming from. Like, uh, she's okay. So you're you're coming back from Thailand as a missionary. (laughs) You're super smart. You're, you're beautiful. You're kind. I was like, what, like, where'd you come from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> So it was, it was this pretty, pretty incredible experience for me, you know, that we just wound up basically being neighbors and, you know, and we, we hit it off right away. And, you know, we would, we would get engaged within 10 months, but, you know, it was also at that time, it was a very difficult time in my life and my family's life too. My mom was very sick with ovarian cancer. She had been diagnosed with breast cancer in mm-hmm. 2010, had, had kind of gotten gone in remission from that and then became very sick with stage four ovarian cancer. And by the time Natalie and I met in in January, she wasn't on she wasn't on hospice yet, but but she was very sick at this point. And it was yeah it, it was just a very, very hard time in in my family's life. And I I really leaned on that a lot. Her presence to me, you know, I I could see what it, what an incredible witness she must have been in in Thailand for these people who were suffering so much and had no one to be there with them. And you know, I'm I'm so grateful to to God and to her that you know she was able to to be that for me at this time of such such suffering in in my life. So, you know, it was a, it was a time both of of great joy and finding each other and a time of deep suffering for, for me and my family as well. And, you know, my mom would pass away in September, the September after Natalie and I met, and we would get married Mm -hmm. the next, the next June. So, you know, our, our early relationship (laughs) and still our current relationship, you know, was a lot of, a lot of trials and a lot of joy. Like I think anything, that is truly remarkable and beautiful in life. You know, you you have to go through the suffering and the pain in order to, in order to experience the 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 true beauty that is not on the other side of that, but but intertwined with that. And, and that's a really a, just an experience I'm I'm very thankful for for her. And you know, the experience of of mom's death and being sick. You know what what that was able to do in terms of our. Relationship to him, so so thankful for mom and 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 her life in that because it it showed Natalie and I it set Natalie and I on our path of also continuing the work that you know my mom and dad started in Saint Joseph's house and being like you know what I don't know that there was any other person in the world I could have done this with but you.
0: What's so amazing to me as I hear this intertwining of joy and suffering in both of your lives is that even though you're encountering both your own personal suffering and the deep and life-changing suffering of so many others it's not it doesn't sound like it you lost your joy in that that it didn't weigh you down so much that your spirit was broken what was sustaining to you as you encountered some of these you know really intense and sorrowful moments with people
2: yeah in thailand i really came to appreciate and lean on the prayer life. And for me, especially the liturgy of the hours is a kind of prayer that I had never really prayed until I was there Mm -hmm. and is one that I continue to love to pray now when find the time. And what's so moving about it for me is that it gives voice to the depth and the wide range of of human emotion and joy Mm -hmm. and suffering. In the words of the Psalms, I find so much Comfort and consolation, and and I find that they give voice to so much of the pain that I encountered in in others, and that others were carrying, and and my own feeling helpless in front of it, and then also the the great joy that I was blessed to share with others too. I just when I couldn't come up with the words, I I feel like the the Psalms can do that. I find that to be a really moving way to offer up the joys and sorrows of myself and those that I'm with. And and then really adoration, just being able to go and be before Christ and, and just mm-hmm. bring whatever was in my heart, whether it was tears or laughter or just silence and <laughs> being really bogged down and, and not having many words to say, just knowing that Christ Waits for us and and accepts it all, and that he's always waiting. That he's always waiting in the tabernacle for us was a really big comfort for me there, and
0: and continues to be. That's beautifully said, Joe. How would you respond?
1: I think my short answer is I I don't
0: know. I I, mm. I don't I don't
1: know how I how I sometimes kept my my joy in the in the face of these difficult moments. I. I think it's 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 definitely by the grace of God that Mm -hmm. that, but certainly didn't do anything to receive that. I I think it was a gift freely given. And I think with mom's sickness, you know, she was sick for about seven seven years on and off with the breast cancer and then the ovarian cancer. And it was it it was a time of, of I think a lot of great preparation for me to experience, you know, what what suffering is in watching her. And she had started a group soon after she lost my son Francis called called MIS for for moms and dads who suffered miscarriages, infant deaths, and stillbirths. Mm-hmm. And that shortly turned into a group called Isaiah's Promise, which she founded, hmm. which would essentially walk with men and women who had a poor prenatal diagnosis from from the time that it was discovered and, and until after the baby was born. And you know, her last couple of years, they were still kind of doing St. Joseph's house as much as they were able, taking care of a Our uh, kids with disabilities, but she, most waking hours in the, in the evening after that, she she was on the phone with, with these parents who were, who were suffering so much and just, just spending oftentimes hours on the phone with various people. And I think, and she kept her joy through all of that, you know, like she, Mm. she was dying and she was able to give what she had to others, you know, so. Wow. I think watching her example of not not just not not just what it means to live, but what it means to die, was was just so so inspiring to me that it you know I'm it was hard for me to say you know I'm I'm certainly I was I was sad horribly sad about her death, but but not depressed you know because she she was prepared for that and she lived in a way that her life and her death had 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 so much meaning for for so many people that she touched throughout her life. So I would say for me, it was it was my mom's example and God's grace that in the face of familial suffering that, you know, Nada and I were able to, Natta and I got married, you know, eight months after that and experienced this great joy of our marriage and our, you know, our kids who would come soon after.
0: Mm-hmm. So in the midst of then marriage and kids, we've we've alluded to this, but eventually you both make this decision to Move back or reestablish St. Joseph's House. Tell us about that discernment and and what that what that looks like.
2: When Cubby died, I think one of her big gifts to us, like Joe was saying, was this this sense of of peace and hope amid that suffering. It really gave us this this really sustaining gift in in knowing that we the two of us didn't know what lay ahead for us, but we did know that, that we could do it together, whatever it Mm. was, whatever suffering could be on the path ahead. Like this was someone that I can do it with. And that gift gave us the peace to, to be able to, to move forward and know that we could make the commitment to spend our life together. And then about six, eight months down the line from then I took over as a St. Joseph's House executive director and Joe, being a, a sixth grade teacher by day, would then run the programs with me, given that we do after school care and summer camp in his off hours. And so, right after we got married that June, uh, we came back from our honeymoon and we started summer camp together. And we were running it out of its original location, out of uh, the addition on Joe's parents' house, and continued to run it there for several years, and found great joy in doing it. It became more and more challenging the more kids that we had. Um, we had um, our first Gabriel was born right before our, our second Saint Joseph's house summer, and so as a six-week-old, he came along for the ride to camp every day, <laughs> and it was really a great blessing to see him, um, see all of the kids love and dote on him and to just see him as, as one of the gang and, and to kind of imagine uh, Joe growing up in a similar way. Then not long after that, we had twins and it became very clear that if this was going to be something that was sustainable for our for our family and that if we felt called to do this in the long term, logistically, sustainably, we were going to have to run it out of our own home. And so we prayed about that and heard the call from god that this was something that we wanted to do in the long term saint joseph's house is so rooted in being an extension of the family so not not just for logistical reasons but also to to enable saint joseph's house to to fully thrive in its mission of of welcoming families who are often in pretty isolating and and challenging circumstances to be welcomed into our home and Mm -hmm. to be part of our family and for these kids who can be with us from age five to 21 to grow up with our kids and to grow up with each other and for for families to really get to know each other and find support in each other and for us too to in in a small way be able to help bear the uncertainty that so many of these families can bear just with medical appointments or just the chaos that is family life and and only the more so often having having a child with a significant disability right we can say all right you have a doctor's appointment like drop him off early we're here you know or mm-hmm. you're running late in traffic you don't need another reason to be to be stressed take your time we're here <laughs> he's here he's fine we're fine take as long as you need and eventually too as joe's parents did to be able to offer respite care Overnight to give parents a little bit more of a break is something that that we hope to be able to do down the line, and obviously uh, can only do that in our in our own home.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I
2: can invite uh, kids over to our father-in-law's house. <laughs> I don't know how he yeah. feels about that. Um, at this point in his life, he's done his time, but we we felt the peace and 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 again that kind of peace that that we felt at at Cubby's death. That was a we didn't know what the way forward necessarily would look like, but but we knew we were in it together. We knew, we knew God was with us and leading us, and so we're able to kind of put one foot in front of the other and and trust in where things would go, even though we didn't necessarily know
1: what so, it would look like. And it was a great you know learning experience <laughs> for us as parents. We had another baby about 19 months after the the twins, so you know mm-hmm. we we had four kids in three years basically, as we're. As we're getting started here at St. Joseph's house and it was... No
0: sweat, no sweat.
1: (laughs) And, you know, it was, but it was, it was a good, like we felt, we felt God was calling us to this. We also knew this was like really hard, you know, like it's really hard having four kids in three years. And, but it was also such a time of wonder for us and of joy and beauty. And, you know, you know, they were... There were days where it was just so, so frustrating and, and difficult. But you get to the end of the day and you're like, like, wow, like what a gift I have been given to have all of these, you know, small people in my care. You know, and and you can feel so overwhelmed and so taken aback by the responsibility that's now yours. And but it was it was a great lesson for us as parents and also putting us in, you know, the shoes of of some of these these families who are experiencing things that we can't even Imagine the difficulties that they're that they're going through health wise with their children and you know where what kind of communities their children are are going to have so you know as our kids have gotten older now you know our our youngest is now two and our oldest is five it's just been a a great joy for us to be able to to see them so welcoming to to all these new new folks into our to our home and just just a tremendous blessing for us as as parents to be able to see that as well,
0: yeah, Joe, I was going to ask you you know this has a lot of similarities to your childhood and mm-hmm. as you've mentioned you can see the fruits of that later on in your life are there any hints of this gift that you're actually giving your children by enabling them to grow up in a similar environment and see the dignity in all these all these people that you're serving
1: yeah, absolutely. And I would even say it's not always apparent, you know, what kids kids take in. But but when mm-hmm. you see when you see moments like our, our five year old, you know, walking up to to one of our guys who is who is in a wheelchair and who is nonverbal and is not able to move his head or his arms, but to walk up to him and say, here's your fishing net for, for the game we're playing and, and mm-hmm. placing it in his hand. It's like, you know, that's that's not something that I could ever you know, I, I didn't say for him to do that. You know, it's, it's just something that he recognized as saying, this is, this is a boy who's my age, who's in my house, who's my friend, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and he, he kind of recognized that just, just by him being here. I think so much of our, our hardships with, with others and, and facing others who are, you know, we are perceived as different from us is just not having the experience of them. Mm-hmm. And, and for our kids to be able to have that, you know, experience that, that I had as a child and just, this is just a person that this is just a friend. It's such a gift to both, both our kids and for those kids to be able to experience that. Because oftentimes, you know, as Natalie said, it, it, it can be pretty isolating for, for some of these guys. And, you know, just because they, you know, might not be able to move their arms or speak doesn't mean that they don't. Want to feel included, and I think kids can have a very innate sense of of, of welcoming when they're mm-hmm. young, when when given that opportunity. And I've certainly seen that fruit borne out in in our children as as they're getting older, and it's it's just such a such a neat thing to see.
0: Natalie, for you, I mean, being a young mom is is demanding, full stop. Being a young mom with, you know, four kids under five is demanding, full stop. How do you find the capacity to do all that and be part of such a, a ministry that asks so much of you as a person? That's a good Great question. question. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, I'm tired thinking about it. So <laughs> it's just like where where are you finding the, the wellspring of grace and energy here?
2: Yeah, I mean, Joe is my rock. He is he just exudes peace and calm. He is a rock. And like the kind of (laughs) things that I have to read and reflect and pray and come to these insights that like, you know, from the saints saints who have suffered and come to these really profound insights, I have to sit and wrestle. And then, you know, I'll say it to Joe and, and it's like, oh, you already know that you just, you just live that. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Like you just, just innately is this profound rock of our family and and he keeps me steady when when I feel like I can't keep going and really the the grace of, of marriage the sacrament of marriage is is just incredible the wellspring of of grace to to just keep going when you you feel like you can't sometimes and just trying to have eyes to I think for for the little nuggets of joy that come and and just kind of affirmations that we're on the right path like Mm -hmm. joe was talking about the the very challenging circumstances that families and and parents can be in and and just how demanding sometimes the the round the clock care can be and to be able to to share that for a few hours or day or or a week and to feel really exhausted but to know that that others carry that suffering <laughs> all the time and around the clock and to be able to to offer that for that and for them and with them and and be united in that and and know that Christ is carrying all of it and all of us just yeah. uh, to to help us all keep going and to be in it all together, just trying to
0: to do our part and carry each other when we can and be carried when we can't. Yeah, there's something about that and I mean, both of your lives are are witnesses to this, but that when we walk alongside people to Calvary, I mean, you think of Veronica, you think of Simon, you think of the weeping women, the people who were with Jesus on Calvary. I mean, they, they were suffering too in their own way, but by entering into the suffering with each other, suffering with that compassion, they were able to to handle it together, and my own, I have a son who has some special needs, and we've had to visit some children's hospitals at, at times. And boy, that really puts things in, into perspective when you're not sure how you're going to deal with your own stuff, but then you see what some other people are going through, and it's just okay. We're we're doing okay, or or gosh, let's let's pray for them because what they're going through seems seems much harder. I don't know, Joe. Have you had experiences like that in this ministry?
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of countless times over the last almost 40 years, you know, my, my biggest inspiration aside from my mom and dad is, is, uh, and I kind of spoke about this about our, our housewarming when when we opened up uh, Saint Joseph's House here out of our home is the the inspiration of of the parents who mm. whose kids are, are are in our care for but a brief time. Their witness to me is the kind of the the kind of witness the, the kind of love that that I can only imagine stems from Jesus. W- whether the parents are Christian or not, and and we we mm-hmm. serve any families here. Um, sure. But the kind of joy that I have seen parents express, the kind of the kind of thankfulness that I've seen countless parents express at their own children's funerals that, that I've attended through the years is, you know, what a, what a gift these kids have been to, to their families and, and mm-hmm. to their parents. And the number of parents who have said, you know, this child saved me, this, this child taught me what love means. This child taught me what, what sacrifice means, you know, it, it might not have been what they would have chosen if given any chance, but sure, given the life that they have, you know, I, I, None that I've talked to have would have ever wished anything differently for, for their child or, or their relationship with their child. So you know their their testament and the experience of their lives has has been the, the greatest source of, of inspiration for me to to try to continue this this work um, and and to try to do whatever small things we, we we can to to live in community with with these families.
0: Well, I'm sure you're both a tremendous source of grace to those families during some very difficult times. So that's a great witness to all of us. And although we've been talking about these themes throughout, I feel like I do want to ask, as I normally do for both of you, who have been some of the models of holiness that really come to mind when you think about living a holy life?
1: I've spoken about it a, a decent amount already about my mom but but for for me her her experience of what what holiness is wasn't you know, it was a it was a lived holiness. She was mm-hmm. she was a much more kind of boots on the ground person. My my dad very different, very contemplative, very very holy, very deep. They both kind of a, approach the faith in in very different ways, and that that combination for for me, you know, kind of gave me kind of a great insight as to as to what a faith fully. Uh, and and truly lived means so for for me it was, it was certainly my parents and and through the missionaries of charity and and Mother Teresa kind of that that example of you know as Natalie has talked about that that ministry of presence and of and of giving and just of of being that has that has been my kind of model throughout throughout my life of holiness and 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 what I can you know hope to to shoot for someday yeah
2: one who a saint who well, not canonized Satan yet, he's venerable, but uh, who has been very close to me in recent days and years is a uh, venerable Francis Xavier Nguyen Van Thuan. Um mm-hmm. And I discovered him uh, in my time in Thailand and during my ministry in the immigration prison. And he was imprisoned for 13 years of his life, nine of them in solitary confinement. Um, he had just been named the coadjutor bishop in Saigon, seven days before communists would come and arrest him and bring him to jail. He lived in prison with such hope and using the little that he had, you know, paper that uh, the boy bringing the newspapers in um, would sneak in scraps of paper and he would write notes of hope to be sent out and shared with people outside the prison or celebrating mass on the palm of his hand with, you know, hosts and wine that were smuggled in uh, to converting his jailers so well and so rapidly that they had to be rotated frequently. Um, and so so his was a story of hope that that I would often share his book with prisoners there um in Bangkok and then of uh, recent times I've I've found a lot of inspiration in him a particular passage from his book that I read <laughs> so often I should have it memorized but he talks about one one particular day in solitary confinement just really grappling with the meaning of his life and and, and what was he doing here he had all of these plans as bishop to to love and serve his flock to do all of these ministries and, and to love all of these people in his care. And he was a go-getter and, and here he was in solitary confinement. And, and what did his life mean anymore? What, what was mm-hmm. he doing and what did God want of him? And he felt this really clear uh, sense of peace come over him and, and, and heard God saying to him, Francis Xavier, you have to distinguish between the work of God and the works of God. Um, and all of mm. these things that you're fixating on, all these things that you want to do, those are the works of God. And and those right. are good and holy. And, and I'm, I'm happy you desire those things, but, but what you need to do is the work of God. And that's, what's actually in front of you right now. Mm. Um, and you, you've got to use what you've got and you've, you've got to try to love and serve me. And, and uh, especially as we've been working to, to grow St. Joseph's house and to, to move it here and and having a lot of young children in our care too and being a driven person who who wants to do good and feeling frustrated that I can't do as much as I'd like and and sometimes with little kids in the beginning it's it's just survival and getting one day to the next his words and his example of hope and just knowing that that all god wants you to do is is your best for that day to try to love him that day, to love those in your care and and in your presence that day, and with what you've got, whether you're you're by yourself or with others, to to love him in the reality before you, and that he doesn't he doesn't ask anything more of that, and and all of those those things are are in his hand, and and God will take care of them, and and Saint Joseph's house is in God's hands, and so whatever I can do or can't do, whatever's in my control or not doesn't matter. It's all it's in God's hands and all I can try to do is uh, is be faithful in, in small things.
0: Yeah. And that's a very profound and kind of novel definition of holiness, just to do doing the work of God. And sometimes that looks very different. And on the podcast, we've heard lots of different stories. Uh, yours is a very unique one, the ministry that you're doing as a married couple, but uh, doing the work of God before us, I think that's great. As you both think about striving after a holy life what does that look like for you as you felt you know felt that tug on your heart to get close to uh, aspiring after holiness
1: for me i think it's it's both how we can make saint joseph's house kind of in in the image of of the church in a place that is welcoming and and loving but but also as a as a father you know i i really am trying to focus on what what holiness means in our Our family, and you know how Mm -hmm. how we can foster how we can foster that, and I think that's something that we're still still very much learning as we go. And it's something that I think I'm recognizing is like like Natalie has been saying is not like every day you put your foot in front of the other, and Mm -hmm. even if the kids are you know yelling or or screaming when you're trying to sing sing a song in the evening or, or or say a prayer with them, you know that that consistency and that that desire for them to know God, you know that is. That is the most important thing that that you can kind of give them. So that's that's what I'm trying to focus on in in my path to holiness and what that looks like, and, and imparting a love of, of uh, of Christ and of of the Church into our into our kids. Thank you. Yeah,
2: Natalie, just really trying to convey both to our own kids and St. Joseph's House kids just how loved they are, and uh, even if we miss our evening prayers or, you know, like Joe said, someone is jumping on somebody's back during it and yelling and and not really listening Um, that if in our daily interactions, they know they're loved and they see the two of us uh, forgiving each other and forgiving them and asking their forgiveness um, just in the dailiness of life, just practicing love here and and trying to be available to, to what God's asking in any given moment, not kind of stuck on my agenda or what I want to get done or what I think I'm trying to make happen. Um, mm-hmm. but, but to actually listen and, and know that it's, uh, in these days often coming through the the needs and voice and requests of, of children and, and to, to take that seriously, to know that that's often how, how God is speaking to us, uh, in this, season of life yeah. and in our ministry
0: yeah that that's what's in front of you right now and we'll see what tomorrow brings for for all of us as we continue to respond to God's call each day well Joe and Natalie I always say thank you to the guests for spending you know an hour or so of their time but I I really especially want to thank you as young parents and 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 the the ministry that you're doing for just finding some time to to sit down and talk with me and, and share some of your story. I know a lot of people are going to be inspired by this in many ways. So thank you for your story and your witness and giving us some of your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. Sure. Thanks for having us. It was our pleasure.
0: Yes. It was a very much a blessing for me. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Joe and Natalie's ministry at St. Joseph's House and support them, you can visit their website, stjosephshousemd.org. That's S-T and then josephshousemd.org. So I'd love to uh, have people be involved in that ministry if at all possible. And if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast and share this story with others, we invite you to do that, to rate the podcast as always if you enjoyed it. And to also subscribe to our Faith ND Daily Gospel Reflection at faith.nd.edu/signup. Thank you for spending your time listening to this story and many others and until next time you'll be in our prayers. God bless you.